0: Hi there. Welcome back to Sunday School. Sorry I've missed the last couple of weeks, but now we'll be continuing a study, which actually would have begun a week ago, into defining who we are as the people of God. Last week's lesson, if we had had it, would have dealt with the children of Israel and Mount Sinai when God delivered the law to Moses and then Moses delivered it to the people. This week, We're going to be taking that story a few years into the future. We're in the end of the book of Joshua. What's happened here is that the children of Israel have finished the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Jericho has been conquered. The land of Israel is being conquered by the children of Israel, but of course it's being given to them by God. They're reminded that it's not their military prowess That's allowing them to take over this land but it is indeed the power of god that is giving them this land in the 24th chapter of joshua joshua is making his final appeal to the people to be good children of god and at this time he's recounting for them the history of what god has been doing for them for the last 40 years how god has taken them out of egypt delivered them from slavery, helped them, took care of them during their wanderings in the wilderness, and now that they're settling into the new land, the place that's going to be their home, God is calling on them through Joshua to renew their vows, as it were. And so we're going to begin reading in the 24th chapter of Joshua and the 14th verse. Now, fear the Lord, and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods that your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. We do know that before Moses came along that the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt and they had become part of the Egyptian society. Apparently, some of them were worshipping the gods of the people around them, as, of course, they were being assimilated into the Egyptian society they now are being told to do away with that. Now, it's been 40 years since they've been there, so apparently there was quite a strong cultural tie that they would have felt with the culture of uh, Egypt and, of course, with the gods that the Egyptians had. So they're being reminded to turn away from those idols and turn to Yahweh. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve God. This is one of the more famous statements that we associate with Joshua, and it's a really interesting discussion that we can have about the concept of free will, the idea that we as human beings choose to serve God, or we choose not to serve God, but the choice is ours. The metaphor that many people use, of course, is a very famous Robert Frost poem about the road uh, dividing into two, uh, and you have two paths to choose from. Um, I prefer to think of it in a way of the the old, uh, I think it was Groucho Marx, who said that when you see a fork in the road, take it. Well, obviously, you have to choose right or left. You have to make a choice. And that's what Joshua is giving the children of Israel here. He is telling them they have a choice. Serving Yahweh, serving the God who's done so many things for them, is voluntary. God does not make us as mindless robots who have to just accept the programming that we're given. God wants voluntary compliance. God is looking for us to make the choice to do the right thing. Joshua, a pretty good psychologist here, he says uh, it may be difficult for you to make this choice, but as for me and my family, the the people that are living with me, the people that I uh, am in charge of, we are going to choose, in this case, to serve Yahweh. Joshua's call has the desired effect. The people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed these great signs before our eyes. He protected us in our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord, because he is our God. So obviously the people had had some time to contemplate, and they're showing quite a bit of gratitude here. I know oftentimes when we talk about the children of Israel, the wanderings in the desert, the various times they rejected God, or didn't trust God, or complained to God, we see that aspect of it. But it's nice to see them at the end of the journey show this appreciation for what God has done for them. And truly, if we look back on our lives, there are many times when we can remember the things that God did for us, that God gave to us, that are worth remembering. And our desire to serve God comes sometimes as a result of the gratitude that we feel. It's certainly the case of the children of Israel in these particular verses. Joshua, as I said, is a pretty good psychologist, because he put the challenge to the people. They met the challenge, so it's all over, right? Not quite. Verse 19. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you, and make an end of you, after he has been good to you. So Joshua continues to challenge the people. He reminds them that, indeed, they are human beings. They're, they're prone to failure. He doesn't have to give the example verse by verse, but there are plenty of times, beginning with the golden calf and other things like that, when the people failed to serve Yahweh in the way that Yahweh wanted to be served. So he's not going to accept just the first time that the children of Israel say they are going to do this. He's going to set the barrier just a little bit higher and remind the people that God does indeed want this kind of devotion that he's talking about here. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. So he gets a very strong reaction from them. He says, you're going to fail, and they say, no. And sometimes that's the way life is. When people tell us that we're going to fail, when when we are presented with challenges that seem too much, that's what brings out the resilience in people. It's what brings out the determinedness, the the doggedness that uh, people have to have sometimes to overcome Severe challenges. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. In other words, you can take our words to the bank. Give us something to sign. We are saying that we did these things. We're making a promise. And we are witnesses. If we fail to do this, then you can hold it up in front of us and say, You have failed to do this. Now, then said Joshua, "Throw away the foreign gods that are among you, and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. This indicates to me that they may well have brought some of the household idols, things like that, from the land of Egypt when they left they when they departed, they may have had some of these with them and brought them the whole way, whether as relics, uh, maybe just as good luck charms, uh, maybe because They were afraid that God would abandon them. For whatever reason, they still had some house cleaning to do. They had to get rid of some of these things. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them decrees and laws. Now, once again, they received the laws that Moses gave them. This is probably just pretty much a... Reiteration, a restatement of the laws that Moses had already given them, but also with the reminder that now God has fulfilled a big part of the promise that he had made to Abraham. Not only are Abraham's children and grandchildren and great grandchildren now a great nation, but now they have a land of their own to live in. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak tree near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. So today, when we sign a contract, a legal document to say that we're going to do something, if we fail to do it, then that document with our name on it can be taken to court and people can sue us. They can make us live up to the promises that we made. They didn't have fancy contracts and things like that, obviously, at the time of Joshua. But they did have this stone, which is set up in a holy place. And when they looked at it, the people were supposed to remember that indeed they made a promise. This is a wonderful lesson. It's a good time to end the lesson because everybody's happy. The promise is made. In the next few verses, we find that Joshua lives to be 110, lives a good long life. He's buried. And in fact, the children of Israel do keep their promises throughout the rest of that generation. The elders who make this pact uh, with God in front of Joshua indeed live up to it. Until they die, the children of Israel are on good behavior. Now, of course, that would be a good place to end the whole story, but we know there's a whole lot more to it. The children of Israel over the next uh, dozens of generations are going to fall away. God's going to punish them. They're going to come back to God. God's going to, they're going to fail again. God's going to punish them again. It goes back and forth, back and forth. So were they hopeless? Are we hopeless? Well, that's the thing about God. He was always there for them when they turned themselves back to God, when they turned themselves away from their wickedness. And today, when we look at our own lives, sometimes it's so obvious that that we're going to fail. We are not going to be the people that we need to be. We're not going to do all of the things that we know we ought to do. Whenever we have our communion service, we state this publicly. We tell God that we have not lived up to what we were supposed to do, we ask for forgiveness. And just as God in the Old Testament offered forgiveness to the children of Israel, so today we as Christians can take advantage. We can take advantage of God's willingness to be there for us. No matter how hopeless we may feel, no matter how inevitable we may think our sinfulness is, God still has faith in us. We talk about how important it is to have faith in God. Of course, that's part of our theology, but a really big part of the story here that sometimes we don't look at is how much faith God has in people. He gives us the two doors to go through, the the two paths to follow. We have an opportunity to do good or to do bad. Oftentimes we choose to do bad things. That's the way humans are. But we still have the opportunity We are still given the power. We're still given the chance to do the right thing. Let's conclude today's lesson with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for letting us turn to you to receive forgiveness. And then help us to share that forgiveness with those around us. In Christ's name, amen.